BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Chris, who did we just get off a Zoom call with, my friend? I can't even believe you this can't happened. even believe. I know. I such can't a believe. Great get. Such a great interview. I am geeking out right now. Girl on Girlies. Sarah and I just interviewed Tiff Durr from The Ultimatum. That's right. The Ultimatum Queer Love. Y'all, if you're queer and you listen to this podcast, there is 0% chance you haven't at least heard of the show or seen stuff on your TikTok or your Instagram or whatever it is. And you probably watched the whole series if you're like us, because it was so good. It The drama was amazing, but also like, okay, I didn't say this in the interview, but I wonder if you feel this way. I watched, so this is a Netflix show for anyone who hasn't watched it. It's called The Ultimatum. They had the first season, which was all hetero couples. And then this is like its whole separate branch of the show called Queer Love. And it was all queer couples. And I felt like, I watched both this one compared to the hetero one, no shade, but like it was so, there was so much more depth to it. It was so much less like cringy and reality show-ish. It actually felt very like, to me, like we were seeing some real raw people, complex relationships, talking about really complex topics. It didn't feel so reality show-ish to me. I completely agree. Actually, this makes me want to rewatch the hetero version just because I was like, this was 2021. I watched the original or the first season of The Ultimatum when I was in, what had COVID literally in bed, <laughs> like fever at an all time high. I didn't so know I was probably um, hallucinating for most of it, but <laughs> probably I agree. Like I was hooked on this show. Honestly, the storylines, I was really getting to know like the people and the depth and the growth that you see and we oh, get the into growth, this growth girl the growth 
we get into this with Tiff, of course, but I think that's what made the show so enjoyable. And for all the gays, I mean, and and the straights, for everybody, it's a show for everybody. We honestly, I wanted to watch it again. When it was done, I was actually sad. Me too. I was like, give me another season. And then another season after that. And also I want to recap every single year, how all of these people are doing in their lives and what their new relationships are like, or their, whatever their current relationships. No spoilers. Yes. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> okay. But we had the privilege to talk to Tiff. Um, if you watch the show, you know who Tiff is. They uh, were such an, uh, such an interesting part of the show in terms of like their growth and how, um, things progressed for them from the very beginning all the way to the reunion. So we had so many questions for them um, and they were just so vulnerable and honest and gave us all the like juicy behind the scenes stuff that we wanted. Oh, we got some juice. We got some juice. This is going to be a really, really fun episode for you guys to listen to. And we're just really grateful. Tiff, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. We really appreciate you. And it was really nice to get your perspective as well, especially you know, to talk about reality TV, you know, you see one thing on the screen and I think it's really nice to just like take it back a little bit and just talk about like what actually goes on behind the scenes and what the actual experience was for the people who were involved on the show. I just feel like we see a whole like curated side, right? Totally. It's such a rare experience and we got to hear all the ups and all the downs. Before we dive into the interview, just so you guys know, in the show notes, we have all of Tiff's details. If you want to follow them on social media, they're also doing a lot of um, coaching and workshops right now around DV and um, trauma and also just coming out. Um, They talk about it in the interview. It sounds really interesting. So we'll put all that information in the show notes so you guys can go click around, see what's up, follow Tiff and keep up with them. Um, But right now, I think we should just dive right into this interview because it was so much fun. I genuinely had such a good time. I laughed. Me too. I laughed hard. Same. Oh, I was laughing. I feel like we couldn't even hide our facial expressions like as Tiff was telling us some, uh, you know, some little details here and there. Sarah and I can't hide anything. You can see everything on our faces. That's why we have a podcast. So you can't see our faces. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's why we, what, what's that saying? We have a face for radio. Face for radio. Um, yeah, I think it's something like that. Do you guys, guys, guys. You know what we're saying? Guys, we love you all. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. And we love you, Tiff. Thank you. We love you, Tiff. Thank you. Well, first of all, Tiff, thank you so much for being a part of the Girl on Girl conversation, but tell us a little bit about yourself. What are your pronouns and how do you identify? My name is Tiff. I am a lesbian, <laughs> but I, uh, my, my preferred pronouns are uh, they, them, and um, I'm non-binary. Amazing. Do you, did you have like a aha moment? We always ask our guests, was there a moment when you were like, mm, I might be queer? And did you have one for queerness and then another one for being non-binary? Were there multiple moments kind of throughout your life? But my first memory of being attracted to girls, women, um, I was actually four years old in preschool. I, it was it was wild. It was a wild start. Um, I remember I would always hang out with the, the boys and we would like do these little like, you know, like hand shooting games and stuff like that, like cops, robbers kind of stuff. And I didn't understand it, but I remember purposely acting like I got shot on the battlefield so the girl nurses can come up to me and be like, are you okay? Are you okay? You're strategic. I, like, I got like, sh- I got wounded on the battlefield. Like, help me out. Like, 
I was like right then. And that's, that's a move. That's, that's been a, a move. smooth move. Four years old. It's been downhill ever since. But when I was four, <laughs> I got it. That's such a good game at age four. <laughs> I mean, you got to start young. You got to start young. That is amazing. I'm yeah, dying at the strategy, though. You you knew. Yeah, like I, I guess I knew before. You know, I went off instinct. Now I just overanalyze everything. But <laughs> overthinking. Oh gosh. Yeah, relatable. Um, as far as being non-binary, honestly, I think it's you know I think we live in a society where it's not normalized. It's not uh, you know obviously as we know or most of us know that like it's been around for such a long time, but it has been hidden within certain cultures and things like that. Um, and it, in different time periods, essentially. And I always knew that my energy had a balance of like feminine and ma masculinity to it, but my internal experience felt like I didn't even lie with on the spectrum of how society labels necessarily a man or a woman in my internal experience, um, not just outward expression, just experience in general, um, how the world defines it as like, I, or not the world, but at least America defines it as like, I just, I, I didn't attach to it. I didn't see that as something as me. My theory is a lot of it is suppressed because it allows you to be free and choose mm. freedom. When I was 28 years old, um, I actually dated this one girl for a while and she started dating this other girl after we broke up. And my jealousy ass, of course, was like on this person's Instagram, like, okay, like who is this person? And then all of a sudden they're like non-binary. I was like, the hell is that? So I Google it. And um, I swear it felt, I mean, there's different varying degrees of it. You know, it's on the spectrum and everything, but um. I'm like, holy shit, this is something that I've been trying to say my entire life. And it finally is resonating. It finally feels like home. Like I haven't been able to put it into words. So it's not like I came out as non-binary. I feel like I was like, I always was non-binary in my heart, but I finally had a, a word to describe it in yeah. symbolism to, because, you know, we attach to human language and how humans are, we attach and fixate to words and things to make sense of it. But, you know, I was that before a word, but that's kind of like what I knew. And then I just, you know, came out to friends and family about it and they respected it. It's amazing how, you know, even seeing, like doing that research as well and actually finding the word and being like, this is exactly me and this is how I feel. And um, just be such like a relief in a way, or. I don't know if it's, okay. uh, it's different, but same. Um, when you have like, when you're not feeling good and you have these symptoms and, you know, it's prolonging, prolonging. And then, um, you know, you finally realize like, Hey, you have, you know, this sickness or you have uh, Hashimoto's or you have like, and you're just like the sense of relief almost because it's then you can learn that that's just the beginning. You can then now learn how to navigate and explore yourself and understand yourself better. Or in the case of like health, you can like learn to better your health in that case. It's like kind of the same thing. You get, you find yourself more. Yeah, totally. That's a good way to look at it. One thing I've really learned from doing this podcast, we've been doing it for a few years now, is just how important language is for the queer community. And I'm actually a writer in my day job. And I feel like we talk a lot on the pod about labels specifically and how sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not. It really depends on the person. But in a lot of cases, having that word, like even just the word itself as the label can be so empowering and it can really make the difference between you being your most authentic self and maybe a version just shy of your most authentic self because you don't know it exists yet. 
And you're right. You're totally right about that. And there's this balance with it, in my opinion, because yes, a label can give you a sense of empowerment, a sense of like, wow, like this kind of wraps up of my experience or who I am, you know, but I feel like also labels exist within a double-edged sword. You know what I'm saying? Because then, then it kind of separates you and your ego from other people saying that I'm separate than you. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to balance those two, especially in the queer community, you know, like, or even in uh, the straight community, there's been like, this is me. This is what's unique about me, but we're still all the same. We just have slight differences, um, but we still navigate the same in life, wanting the same things, which is happiness and freedom and things of that nature. Right. But, you know, I do notice in the queer community a lot, labels can only take you like so far. I'm actually curious there, what being straight, cis straight, what do you, how do you see that as like looking in on like just a lot of labeling? Yeah, I mean, I feel pretty much the exact same way as you. And obviously I have like a closer zoom in on the queer community than maybe some other straight people might because I talk yeah. about it every single week. But I think just my relationship with Persis in particular and seeing how her labels changed over the course of 10 years and how some labels almost felt like they were separating her. For example, when she came out as gay as opposed to bisexual, there was a lot of different chatter about those two different labels and what that meant for her and whether she was allowed to be bisexual. Also, is she allowed to be gay if she looks so femme? Oh, you yeah. don't look mm-hmm. gay, but as as a femme presenting girl who maybe likes to wear makeup or whatever, I can understand you more as bisexual. Like those were actual conversations that mm-hmm. first I watched Persis having to have with people. Have to navigate, yeah. Yeah, and honestly conversations that me and her would have about like what do all these labels mean? So I think just in that relationship, just one-on-one, I was able to see like, they can be so great and they can also be really confusing. Uh, and, and it's interesting because I think we're so quick to make sense of things and jump to conclusions about things like the, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard it too of like, oh, you're too pretty to be gay or you're too mm. pretty to be lesbian, right? Yeah. And you get that and you're like, what the hell was that supposed to be? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I used to get that a lot more back in the day. Like, I don't get it anymore. I don't know if something changed or... <laughs> you're like, like wait wait a minute what happened because <laughs> i don't get that don't you're like that. i'm still pretty yeah, yeah i'm so pretty guys i'm so pretty um <laughs> so i don't know if that's a compliment or something fell off but i also noticed too i'm more mask presenting but sometimes i have i do have some androgynous expressions like not now but you know most times when i go out in public and stuff like i do wear makeup i do wear like even in a show you see me putting on some mascara and things like that so there's this like you know, I get a lot of comments, especially in the last few weeks. They're like, oh, why is this mask? Why is this stud like putting on makeup? And I'm like, because I like, mm. want to like, um, yeah, because I do what I want. I mean, I you're allowed know. to. Yeah, yeah. Your decision. Yeah. So fascinating. I was actually going to bring that up to you because we're going to talk to you about representation in a little bit. But like yeah. that exact scene really stood out to me because you are mask presenting and getting ready for the the big day, like the big proposal day of the show you're putting on makeup and I think that representation in and of itself is so important yeah. like sure y- yeah you did you think I think so because I mean like yeah that's that scene itself and me on the bed and all of that like right before proposal day I think it was an episode or the last episode nine I mean, if you think about it, those filming sessions that probably lasted like a good hour um they just that little session last little session in the hotel they could have gotten so many different things. I was ironing my clothes. I mean, I was do- like literally doing everything, brushing my teeth, like anything. And they get the mascara in. And I think mm. they just, I 
Yeah. Like I was doing everything that everyone does to get ready, even down to ironing clothes, even down to putting on the clothes to contemplating things to trying on shirts. And like, you know, we were just going through our lives as they were filming it. And um, Mm -hmm. that they got the mascara. I mean, come on. They really focused (laughs) on that. Oh yeah. They focused it on the mascara. That's interesting. Okay. We'll discuss this. We'll discuss this in a little bit. This is interesting. It is. Well, honestly, before we dive into the show a little bit more, because we're so curious, um, if you're comfortable, can you share your coming out story with yeah, us? Um, if you really have like a coming out story. You know, it's, like, uh, it's not a big shebang, I would say. Um, fortunately, I had very, very supporting parents. So it actually was very normalized. You know what I'm saying? Like I did uh, my first girlfriend, I was 16. I was scared shitless. Um, I, you know, I did belong to a non-denominational church. Um, they were the ones that were like, when they found out, they were like all praying for me, the youth group and all that. Like, so I had an entire youth group of like 300 kids praying for me. So that was weird. But then as far as my family goes, um, they're just like, I don't care who you are. I just like, want you to tell us the truth and be happy. And I'm like, you know, so it started with, she's an exception. I'm straight, but it's just her. I like, yeah. Oh, that's always how it starts. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really that's nice so funny. good to hear your family was accepting that's really beautiful yeah yeah we love to hear it I was gonna say that's so important because your self-esteem when we're so wrapped around like the idea of queer shame it's embedded within our culture and of course like our family and our upbringing and everything when you have those supportive parents I look back on it now and that like meant the world to me so now I look at it from a glass scope and like especially these last few weeks I've been um you know like I do some coaching where um you know I've been helping people like come out or start to question their sexuality and stuff and like I even have parents I'm talking to who are just like hey like I want to I, I don't understand but I I love my child I'm just trying to understand I'm like hey you know what you don't have to understand to love and respect someone you know you'll understand with time you'll understand just through loving them through the process. That's what yeah. I see. That's so cool. So you've been coaching queer people, parents. Is that is that like a new venture? Something you've been doing for a long time? It's a new adventure, but I've noticed that I've always end up being on the end of the phone with someone <laughs> talking to someone about it. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah. I might as well get paid for this. Like, <laughs> uh, hell yeah! Hi, you got some wisdom yeah, yeah. to impart. Exactly. So that's really cool. Yeah. What was your, I'm sorry. I interrupted you before you went into your uh, next question. I'm sorry. No, no, that was so important to say. And thank you for saying that. Also, Persis uh, has had the privilege of having really supportive parents too. Yeah, I really relate so. to you on that. When you said that story is important too, or seeing that side, it is because it also gives other people some hope, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, my parents were really, really great throughout it all. So grateful for them. They're both gems. Your parents, you always seek your parents' approval as a kid. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're living in the household with one or two parents or step parents or foster parents or whatever your whatever your living situation is, you are embedded for love and connection. And you want that more than ever as a kid, um, because you're learning your own individuality. So when you have parents that and they do validate you for exactly who you are, I mean it's it's life changing. You may not realize it as a kid, but looking back on it, you're like, holy moly, like that that's what I needed. That's what kept me grounded um, during that whole navigation of my life. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, shout out to your parents. Shout out to both your parents. Honestly, shout out. Shout out. 
Yeah. Shout out. We love him. Okay, Tiff. Let's talk about the ultimatum. Okay. Do we have What's a lot of questions? It's this new show on Netflix. I don't know if you've yeah. heard of it. You might not have heard. Okay. It's this new show. It existed before some like hetero shit, but then they were like, let's make a queer love version. And we were like, oh, yeah. okay. I'll we'll sign up for that. I've been going through my TikTok and I have been seeing a lot of people talk about that. Okay. I'm always so, the first question is about signing up. I'm always so curious about the process of signing up for these shows, any reality show, but like, this is such a unique one. For anyone who's never watched The Ultimatum, basically the, the premise is that couples will come on. One part of the couple has given the other person an ultimatum. If you don't propose to me, then we're going to break up. And mm -hmm. the idea is the couples come onto the show and then they separate and have trial marriages with the other couples mm -hmm. and then come back together at the end and see if minds have changed, relationships have changed, and the end of the show is the final ultimatum. Will the original person who said, yeah. mm, I'm not ready to marry you yet, change their mind and want to marry the original couple? So signing up for this show, I would imagine is a totally different experience from signing up solo to like Love is Blind or like a dating show, you know what yeah. I mean? So what was the process of it? How did you even find yourself there? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I would say your um, elevator pitch of how to describe the show is the best ever because when I try to tell people what it's about and I'm I'm fumble for words and I'm like, oh, it's like this thing where um, yeah, like I, I get lost in transition and I don't even know how to explain the own show I went on to because it's that unhinged. And I'm just like, uh, so what happens and I try to over detail it so I'm like so together for three weeks but not really three weeks because we were coming a couple days short and like i'm just going down the rabbit hole and I'm, they're like what they're like trying to I'll keep see, up right ah, now. i'll see you on the flicks i'll see you on the flicks i'm like all right um truly it is unhinged unhinged yeah. is the perfect word to describe it unhinged um okay so casting process um keep in mind see we filmed back to back i don't know if i told you guys already before prior to the podcast but we filmed back to back with season one did i tell you that I actually no. didn't know okay. that. Oh, a little Thanks. tidbit so, behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, behind the scenes. B BTS, I just learned that acronym, by the way. BTS. We, okay, so season one was filmed April, I believe, April of 2021. Um, and then they wrapped up filming and then they picked up, they filmed in Austin and then they picked up essentially half of their crew like executive producers and all that stuff, and then just went straight to San Diego. So we filmed back to back. So keep in mind during the casting process, which I'll get into in a second, we didn't know, there was no, the ultimatum franchise. There there was nothing. So right. we didn't, we didn't look at season one because they, and all we knew, we didn't even know that season one was straight, gay. We figured it was gay. So, or queer. Um, <clears throat> so we had no idea about any of this. Uh, we didn't, there was no ultimatum. So I think a lot of people were like, oh, you should apply for Love is Blind. Well, they can see season one, two, and three, and they kind of know what they're getting into. We didn't fully know what we get into, and you never really know because you don't know what that even looks like on screen. And even during the process, which is a linear process over eight weeks, like the dating period, the trial marriage period, et cetera, we didn't know what, I mean, we can kind of feel, write it out, but we don't know how that's going to be presented on screen. So when we watched season one and sat down, and we looked at each other, Mildred and I, we looked at each other and we're like, what the fuck did we get ourselves into? Because we see how like unhinged it's played out. We're like, Ooh. I didn't even think about it like that. Wow. But it's way more of a deeper process than what it appears like on TV. It is crazy, but it 
is way more deeply intricate. So when we saw that and we saw just how crazy it was, we're like, oh, like we looked at each other. We're like, we're up next and we could die (laughs) right now and it would still be aired. Like it don't matter. Oh my God. Like everything. I was like, get out of here. Okay. We'll talk about that in a second. But the, um, the casting process, I had a person slide in my DMs of May, 2021 saying, Hey, I'm a producer, a casting producer. And, uh, we're filming, you know, a, a next project, a next show. Um, here are the credentials. It was kind of like, from what I remember, um, you're in a couple you know, you're in a relationship with someone, one is on the fence to get married and one's kind of not. Um, we, uh, we're accepting all kind of on the spectrum of queer female, I guess, identify, I forget the word that they put it, but basically like assigned a female at birth kind of thing to be together for like somewhere in between like a year and a half and like four years is kind of like what they said. If I remember, like, give or take, um, is this you, do you fit the bill? And I'm assuming that the girl that's in your profile is, it's her, you know, is that your girlfriend? So I was like, Hey, reaching out. Thanks for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Um, I sent her like a voicemail. I was like, so as much as I would say that, because like, you know, that, that does seem like an amazing opportunity. That's something that's really cool. Um, and by the way, I've never ever thought about being on TV ever in my life at that point, really? you know, like, yeah, I think they just cast it just like everyday people, you know? And, um, wow. You know, I uh, just never was on the radar. So anyway, what I told her, I actually turned her down at first. And I was just like, so Mildred and I are actually on a break right now. And I haven't spoken to her in like three weeks. So I like, I don't know. Um, and I was like, I really appreciate it though. And blah, blah, blah. Um, and then she was just like, oh, okay, that's fine. And um so I, you know, just started talking to her more because I never talked to a producer. I thought that, that was cool. So I just started ne- networking with her and just having a conversation like, hey, what's the best part of your job? Like, and she's like, oh, I get to change lives. And we're just like DMing each other for like the next like day and a half, just like chilling, you know, I'm like, coming besties. Well, no, I just thought it was cool. Like talking to someone that I've never talked to like, like that before in that kind of uh, entertainment. Industry. I'm from East Coast, you know, so it's a new thing going over West Coast. Um, yeah, that's cool. So anyway, she circles around like two days later and she's like, because I guess, she sees that I wasn't like thirsty to be on TV. I'm just like, eh, whatever kind of thing. <laughs> and then she just kind of sees like my personality in general and like, you know, and then she's like, so are you sure that like, like, I'm just trying to understand your situation more. And I'm like, and I explained it more. And I'm like, look, we have talked about marriage before in the past, but lately, like the last, like, you know, six months or so, we've been very rocky in the relationship. It's constantly like back and forth at this point. Um, but if we actually were to like figure out our communication and be on the same page, I'm sure we can start talking about that again. But right now we're not in a good spot. And then she goes, perfect. <laughs> Golden. That's all I needed to hear. That producer was like oh. gold mine. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> And it's not like, let me be on TV. Let me be on TV. I was just like, no, nah, that's okay. How, how's being a producer? Like just kind of through like whatever. Um, and then we went through the casting process. It was like, I mean, multiple thousands of questions down to personality, IQ, matching what our ideal type person is. Cause they're matching these. It's kind of like making a boy band. Right. So you're like, you could be the perfect singer, but then you don't have the, you know, you can be the 
I don't know the new boy bands, but you know, you have to mesh them well together. So you can mm -hmm. have five strong couples, but there needs, there's actually psych matches that we had. It wasn't just we threw 10 people in a room. We we were professionally matched. So we were supposed to have multiple hey. matches. Yeah. I had no idea. Had like multiple psych evaluations. We had psychologists like going through all of our questions. This is what I learned like through production and stuff. Wow. So you might have a strong person, but that that person that you're with might not line up with the rest of the group. So it was a very cohesive thing that they kind of all had to orchestrate together in the process of choosing. Okay, just to clarify, you're saying that the couples that were chosen, that was a very strategic process, but not that you were chosen or your um, trial marriage was chosen by the producers, right? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Okay. The pick. Just to we clarify in case anyone was confused. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the yeah. 100% pick, but, um, you know, they, we did come on to there. I mean, the casting process was three something months long. We would talk to them every week. Um, and you know, I've heard that there was thousands of applications, um, but I, I, for whatever reason, um, they narrowed down to us 10, uh, because we had multiple matches, um, on there and, um, and that's, that's just kind of how it happened. But yeah, we definitely got to choose our own trial marriage partners. Definitely. Wow. Okay, wait, I have a question. Do you know how the producer discovered you? Was it totally random? Instagram. Yeah. I guess they just found me on something on Instagram, probably like. Like, honestly, I'm thinking like hashtags or something because occasionally I'll put up there like, yay, LGBTQ, you know, <laughs> sure. well, they, okay. So here's thing too. The, originally the location was supposed to be Seattle. So mm. we're supposed to film in Seattle and they actually only were casting within Seattle. And I think they learned very quickly that you cannot have a semi big slash small town. I'm sure you know this process where all of each other doesn't know each other already like when it comes to the queer community true so they realized real quick oh shit we need to expand our search so they you went have to. from seattle all the way uh down to california um out to nevada and then they also uh got two people from hawaii so xander and vanessa are from hawaii i oh, didn't, know, did that. Not know that yeah so they got us all over and then it was supposed to be in Seattle and then they moved it to San Francisco. And then last month they moved it to uh, San Diego as a location. Um, I live in San Diego, so that was perfect. Um, but they chose, I think they chose San Diego more because of the, um, it was the least problematic COVID restriction rules at that time, because we were filming between September and November of 2021. Oh, true. So there was still going to be a lot of restrictions with filming. Wow. Yeah. And like when you film in bigger groups, right? Like having, you can't have more than four people at a table together. And just like, can you actually take off your mask during a production? And we had to like, you know, get the thing up our nose, you know, every two days, I think for 60 days straight, we had a COVID officer, you know, we had a team of, I think production was like a team of like 250 individuals full-time on this project that all living in San Diego, working, all living in the same apartment complex as us. It is a, I didn't know any better, but it's a huge production. It's kind of like Love is Blind. That's a sidebar, not a question. This is something I always wonder too about these shows. I know that the production team is huge and is hanging out with the cast all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, do people fall in love with producers and, I am and crew members? I'm sure like, it's happened and I'm not here to drop cheese main, not on our show, but I do know like another kinetic content show um, that says that from my, from rumors, which I'm not going to spread, but from rumors, I've heard that has happened. Yeah, I mean, it's another. You're on a dating show. You're supposed to be dating the cast members. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but then they're there's like, like oh, a cute camera this, camera person over there, yeah. and you're like, hi, cute camera yeah, operator. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so well, especially because there's a lot of queer representation in production as well. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. That's good to know, actually. And I was curious about that as well. Did you feel like you guys were supported by the crew and the producers and everyone who was working behind the scenes in terms of your sexuality? Absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of like uh, um, cis hetero people um, on the show. I mean, working in production, definitely. But there were a lot of people in higher positions, too, that represented um, in the queer community. I, But you have to also realize that this was their first, so it's not necessarily being completely naive to queer lifestyle, um, but at the same exact time, the real piece of it is that because it's a guinea pig season, um, they've done an ultimatum one at that point, they didn't produce it yet or edit it, but then they rolled right into another one and it's just, you gotta think of it differently. And um, it's not like they had multiple queer seasons where they could be like, oh, oh, oh. So I think they really took our season. They learned so much from it and they're human, you know, everyone's human. They and to navigate a huge project like this, like that's insane. So I think they took whatever they can from this to kind of go into the next one. Um, but yeah, there definitely was so much queer representation. Like for instance, in, you know, like, I think it's episode four or five where you see the, like, the group night outs or front night outs or something. Originally, um, they called it, they like would schedule a, schedule the day, you know, when we had schedules of filming, we would get our schedule for the day. Um, and they were like, tonight you're going to go to girls night out. And so, you know, again, me not being like hammering people for it. Um, you know, me and just a couple other people brought it to their attention. I'm like, that's fine. I said, however, like when it's aired, if it is aired as, this and we see it as this caption i was like perhaps maybe a different word might be good um because i know a lot of people in the non-binary queer trans community or whatever would be pretty upset about it um so they were kind of fickling with what word to tell it so we actually like sat with ep and producers to be like hey you know and they were eager to listen so we were thinking friends night out group night out folks night out you know and i think they end up settling for like group night out or something i forget Nice. That's really important too. And to be involved in that yeah. process. That's yeah. Step. They were definitely willing to listen a lot. That's incredible. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Well, more into the show. And as you were actually like signing up for this roller coaster, were you nervous Mildred was going to fall in love on the show? And how did you navigate those feelings? Like when did it become, okay, I'm actually in this right now. Yeah. Oh my God. So we never had to deal with third parties previously in our relationship. Um, there was never any, or at least from our, my understanding, there was never any like infidelity or like any, you know what I'm saying? Like anyone cheating or anything like that. The problem was us. I think it, I came in with the balance of thinking this girl might fall in love with somebody, but I don't think so. And it's not to like try to be cocky or anything like that. We just, we did feel for each other a lot. Um, but we were actually hoping that the experiment would actually bring out more contrast well two things that it would um make us not be in a situation where we can actually get back together and talk because that was our thing we would break up get back together break up get back together so i'm like this is going to actually we're going to have like people monitor our interactions and be like no you go over here you're in timeout no you go over here and just be away from each other <laughs> for a long time so so i was like this is good and then Perfect. number two oh god yeah, yeah, yeah queer timeout um and then uh, number two, um, 
I would, uh, I was going to say that it would bring out contrast and we hope that the partners would, we would learn stuff from our partners to see what we can bring back to the table. Um, but we realistically said to each other, like, what if it actually does happen? We did have that talk, you know, like, what if it does happen? And there were certain things that we discussed that like the humiliation part of it, you know, um, you know, and we just kind of discussed certain things. If you end up having sex, like don't do it in front of the camera kind of thing like just to, mm -hmm. like you know what i'm saying like don't do it on the next like there's certain boundaries that we did but we let that be an option to open and explore but coming into the show when you think you know what you're walking into and so like yeah we got a reality show and like this is how i'm gonna be and this is it like they know exactly what they're doing um all those preconceived notions that you had of thinking that you can outsmart a reality show you cannot they know exactly what they're doing and I could talk about it for a whole fucking hour but just know that they know exactly what they're doing I you know during the dating process I didn't other than the events other than the the scenes that you saw us together during the dating process at the cocktail parties I never ever saw her um even because we were like monitored we had like bodyguards making sure that we didn't even like fucking look at our partners like it was like it was it was crazy like they I remember we may exchange like four or five glances like during the entire two week process. Oh, it's my kitty. It's Hi, kitty. It's a kitty. It's my What's kitty. her name? Her name's Stormy. She's a Hurricane Sandy rescue. Oh, Stormy, yeah. we love you. You're so cute. So sweet. I know. Yeah, well, kind of. Don't, don't tell her that. You'll feed her ego. She'll okay, get... okay. Yeah. We said nothing. Um, we said nothing. Yeah, so, back to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I. I believe it or not, it's crazy how you don't see certain stuff. Um, the one person I would say that I actually like it started to be like, what the fuck? Um, I came into there thinking that, oh my God, okay, if there's one person that Mildred's type is, that Mildred has any chance with, I thought from initially, I was like, oh, it's going to be Mal. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, Mal's cute, Mal's charming, Mal's like emotionally intelligent, blah, blah. So I thought I had like that more like, Ooh, you know, like, oh my gosh. Um, but at the cocktail party, the first one that you see where we're all by a fire pit and we're like, Oh, I feel like I'm gonna let us be gar. And we're talking about all that without getting too, too much into it. I guess it just didn't fit the narrative of the story, but I actually got really insecure about Xander towards Mildred. Because that wow. night, that night I saw with my own eyes, like Xander getting drunk. And I, I love Xander. I love Xander at all. But we already, we've already talked about this. So it's nothing new. <laughs> but like, totally. Xander getting drunk and just like all over Mildred. And um, like to the, to the point where like Mildred and I were like right next to each other talking and like drunk Xander comes in and literally like does this, reaches over and boxes me out like a basketball game to talk to Mildred. I was like, what the fuck is going on i was like because i you don't know who these people are what their intentions are like i have no For idea sure. one of the fucking sweetest persons ever and totally. but again to xander's defense you know like they were navigating their own situation with their own girlfriend they, you know there's reasons as to why people do things right like meanwhile it's kind of like well what's vanessa doing in the corner over here with so-and-so you know with lexia ray so like there's a lot of that going on, which just like gives me anxiety every single day. I felt nauseous and like I wanted to like throw up, like I swear. So this entire time, I actually thought that Xander and Mildred had something going on that entire time. And Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's like crazy. on the show, you would never guess, like not even. No, you would never guess. 
And like, like for instance, yeah, I went on a lot of dates with Sam, but it kind of goes like an algorithm, right? So when every day, or so we dated for like 10 days straight or something, but day one, we have a date with every single person, eight individuals for 15 minutes. And then at the end, just 15 minutes speed dating, like that date that you saw with me with Mal being a top, being a bottom and like me kind of going through that whole like super cut where you saw like, oh, you're vegetarian, you don't eat meat and like, you know, all that stuff. Um, That was all the first day. I was just like zip, 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 like 15 minute dates. But we then at the end of the day do a list of like one through eight of like what our strongest person was and we connected with the most. And so it kind of works like an algorithm and then the next day it went to five. And then uh, I think we did two rounds of five. And then like by day four, we went to three, did a couple of those. And then for the last like three, four days, we were down to two people and going on three, three and a half hour dates with these people. So my top two people that I had were um, Sam and Yoli. Mm-hmm. And we were on a dates with I was on dates with both of them, like for like 20 hours at this point, like deep questions, not, Hey, let's play, uh, let's go to arcades and just stick around. Like, no, like we had very, very intense, deep conversations about marriage that were guided, not scripted, but guided. And I got to know those two people like very well on a very deep level, very quickly. Interesting. I was curious about that process too. Yeah. I think a love is blind kind of does the same algorithm like thing too you kind of date everyone for a short amount of time and then it bundles down to your top three top two and then you spend longer time with those people it's so interesting to hear like not to we don't need to linger on the xander and um mildred thing but it's interesting to hear or to like this behind the scenes stuff and what the producers choose to focus on oh yeah because that would have been great tv i think so too you know what i mean i am I remember crying in the shower that night. I'm like, oh my no, god. Like, no, like, you know, like no. not to shit on anyone, but like, you know, I felt very like it just felt weird to me that night. And I, yes. I don't know what Mildred's intentions were. And I, you know, I was never in her body, so I cannot say that they were 100 percent real. But it just looked to me, it looked really funny. Like it moved really mm-hmm. funny to me. So yeah. I was like, oh shit, everything I thought about in this TV show, like, oh my God, it's out the door now, you know? And I'm just yeah. like, well, that's what started some of the process of why you see me cry so much during these things. And on top of that, I wasn't romantically connecting with anyone. So it's that, you know, and it's a, we don't have cell phones. We don't have anything. We're just like locked in our resort rooms. If we're not filming, we're filming 16 hours a day. Like there's just a lot of stuff that's going on. And, um, Yeah, it's crazy. Like you said, like the narrative, there's a lot of things that happened that season that I'm like, I swear this is going to make it. And it doesn't. It's the fit of certain narrative because the the narrative, the story is that Xander and Yoli fell in love with each other um, very organically Mm -hmm. and very freshly. So in Xander, you know, not saying that Xander isn't a pure person, their soul is so pure. But if I'm just thinking, I'm just wondering, I'm not the editors, but I'm just thinking as a storyline, like, if they would have saw Mildred or Xander going off and like blah, 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 blah with Mildred and then blah, 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 blah with Yoli, it would have made Xander, I guess, like look more indecisive. Um, very different. Right. For sure. Very different. Very different. Um, so that's just kind of interesting. How it, yeah. And I think the reason why they connected Mildred and Xander connected at first a lot was because Xander was huge on having children. And then Mildred was like, I have a child. And it was just like, hey, I'm so proud of you and blah, blah, blah. You know, so there, there's, there's a lot to that. Um, 
apparently Mildred never had a connection with Xander. And I, I mean, still this day, like, I don't think that ever happens, but it's interesting when you only see with your two eyes, what is going on in these live scenarios. And then you're kind of put back alone and, you know, in your hotel room, but you have to realize that there's also nine other pairs of eyeballs that are going on in their perspectives and navigating everything. So all of this is isolated. We're all isolated from each other. So we really don't know what the game, the game, if you want to call it, looks like until we're all at the choice table because there actually is no way to gossip or tell each other kind of what's happening except for those little two, three cocktail scenes that you see in between. Wow. Right. So you're really on like, you're like on an island on your own, like with your own thoughts. My oh, God. Yeah. You're in an island completely with your own thoughts. Yeah. Wow. Props to you for props to you. I don't, I might be too jealous for this. (laughs) There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of like anxious feelings. Um, And you kind of rip open, you have these deep talks, like you don't eat everything you think you know, it doesn't, they put you in a very vulnerable setting. And for me, I'm a vulnerable person to begin with. And, you know, I'm not afraid to express my feelings. Um, I kind of, I'm a person that likes to rip it all open and fumble the ball, if that makes sense. So I can be self-aware and learn from it quickly. Um, So I'm like, okay, like, great. I'm crying. Like, why am I crying? What am I afraid of? Like, you know, and so you just see me, like, that's when you see the, the choice day where I'm just like spilling my guts out. So like, build your- yeah, but I mean, the, these reality shows are pressure cookers. They're designed to make you the most emotional, vulnerable version of yourself. Yeah. I feel like we hear, we hear a lot of people who have been on these shows talking later about like, that wasn't really even normal for me to act that way, but I just like I was you're so text. You're in this whole yes. world, and it's hard to see. Like, oh yeah, no, no, no. But it feels like if you were to just be dropped off on like planet Mars, and I don't know, just like have these things and things you never seen before, and everything. Like it just your senses change, and everything's just different. It's so hard to explain. Everything's just different because there are people that are. There's boundaries to this social experiment, and there are people moderating this to make sure that those variables are very in place and sound intact. And it got to a point where I remember sitting down with the executive producer, and I bawled my eyes out to her Mm -hmm. like on day eight. And I'm like, I'm not connecting with anyone. Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm not. What do I say? I felt guilty for feeling like I'm not connecting with anyone because I was like, I don't know. Cause it was kind of leveraged in a way of like, when you fall in love with someone, when you get connected with someone, cause we're all supposed to be professionally matched, like all this bunch of stuff. And I'm like, I'm not connecting. I can't forget about my ex just like this. I was like, I don't know. Like, and I felt like I was doing something wrong um, because I wasn't connecting and you don't know if anyone else around you is connecting. And I'm just figuring that everyone else is. So right. I remember her sitting me down and then she's an amazing person, like the head EP on the project. Um, her name's Stephanie. She also is the executive producer of like the Real Housewives of Orange County and stuff. Wow. Um, cool. And I, I, she sat me down and she, of course her phone's blowing up. She's the head person of this entire project. I remember she fucking put her phone down and she like first gave me a hug and then she looked at me and she goes if that is your story then I wouldn't want you to be anything other than yourself and she's like I'd rather you be yourself than to be someone who you're not and as a little piece of advice for as an executive producer um the world will see real quickly if you aren't yourself and I was just like so it's okay to not have a connection. And that's why you don't see me holding Sam's hand. That's why you don't see me doing all these things. Cause I just didn't feel 
like I really wanted, like, I'm not going to force something that's not inside of me. Yeah, you're just um, being you. Yeah. Just being, you know, I'm like a light switch. I'm either into someone or I'm not. Um, I don't really like to half-ass it, you know? Mm. I'm really happy you said that because just before we move on, I wanted to make sure you knew that from my personal perspective, you were one of the most calm, collected, and like, it seemed like you were so clear-headed throughout the entire journey. That's how I perceived you personally. And I'm sure other people felt the same way. I'm and sure you never pretend. <laughs> no, yes, because you never pretended to be any, you never pretended to be in love with Sam. You never I was never wished like, no, no you, never. you just seemed very like, like you knew who you were. You knew, you knew uh, what you were doing and what you wanted. That's the perception mm -hmm. that I got. And yeah. so I, that really came across, if that means anything to you. You don't know no, me, but that's what, that's what I felt. <laughs> And that's the thing. It's like, I'm not, you know, obviously none of us are perfect. Um, but I, that's why, again, like when I see myself, like I make fun of myself, like when I see myself cry so many times, I, I think I probably am tied with Aussie for the amount of cries. Maybe I, I think I have, might have a little bit more, but it's not something that in any sense I'm embarrassed about at all, especially like being a masculine yeah. presenting person. Um, it's definitely something that I, I, you know, and, you know, with, Kind of, I semi-relate to um, straight men when it's like not okay to cry, you know, um, there's this kind of bias, like, like masculine um, persons like AFABs and stuff. They, you know, you always have to have this hard exterior and I come off like a hard exterior, but as soon as you get to know me, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a person that likes to talk about my feelings because I feel like, although, like you said, oh, I'm calm, c composed. But there are so many moments where you do see me um, crying, where you do see me upset, or you do see me hate it. You do th see these raw emotions of me. But I take pride in that because I realized that although those those emotions of navigating those emotions were very difficult and maybe it didn't make sense at the time, I own the fact that it didn't make sense. I voiced that it doesn't make sense. Um, and it, I was able to express what I was feeling as I was feeling it. I remember even there was a scene where like, I'm talking to Sam and this is after I yell at her about the dog and all of that. And we were like going that night um, out to In-N-Out at uh, this, this restaurant. And I remember there was this like on the fly interview that I had where I literally say out loud, like, I feel like my body is going back to the same patterns and I'm trying to be self-aware of like, hey, this is kind of like a fight or flight mode that I had with Sam, you know, from the tumultuous, you know, relationship that I had prior with Mildred, um, I didn't want to keep going back into the same pattern. So like, I'm just, it's, it's rough, it's raw, it's dirty. Um, but I embrace that because I'm able to learn quicker. That that's just something that I've always stand proud of. And like, we'll always not, you know, have any shame to like be raw and be open. No, never any shame in that. I think it's one of the most beautiful things and like such a beautiful trait about you. Not everyone can get to that level. I love emotions and vulnerability. Like I, <laughs> you really do. I, I really do. Hold hands and cry. I love it. <laughs> I love a good cry. I cry a lot. You gotta cry because if you don't, I mean, that stuff is gonna store in your body. Going somewhere, right? So it's going somewhere. I don't know. You guys, I'm not a big crier, so I need to hear this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like right. you're both speaking directly to me. Oh. Okay. So Tiff, you had a trial marriage with Sam, um, and it was an interesting journey feel like it started a little rocky and then by the end it was just like a really beautiful friendship can you describe a little bit about that journey with Sam yeah um so Sam and I connected from the beginning and immediately I just loved her 
she wasn't what I expected when I first met her. Um, I, I saw her like, cause you know, I, we see them, you know, but we don't really talk to them until we start dating. And just, she just seemed a little bit timid to me at first. And all of a sudden, the second I sit, sat down, I'm like, oh, she's going to be like really quiet. And she's like, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was not expecting that. Um, just such a carefree, kind spirit. And I knew immediately I'm like, all right, this is something I, someone I definitely want to keep in my corner. That's for sure. Um, regardless, I was like, I would be friends with this person outside the show, like immediately, um, very emotionally, spiritually aware, you know, uh, we did have a lot of conversations about tarot cards, like a lot, <laughs> but I she's that, like that. a tarot card reader. And I'm like, okay, just tell me about <laughs> it. Yeah. Do a little, spread. I didn't know that. I love yeah. that. There was a couple of times during the whole like dating process. Again, remember, we're not supposed to like talk to people off camera and some of that. We, we would walk by each other. Um, you know, and there's a bodyguard person, another bodyguard person, and we're like not supposed to look at each other. And she would just literally like hand me off a tarot card and walk away. Like she, we would like, you know how people like pass notes in school and just go right by each other. She would, she was like, I think you need this. And scrapping, and I'm so like, cute. okay, and I would look at it. Um, and I'm so cute. I love that. Yeah, yeah. She was like, yeah, she was like breaking all the rules and stuff. Like, give me a tarot card. Um, and badass. I, I know, so badass. Um, so yeah, we had a, a great friendship um we still do but again because of the lack of like romantic connection I had with anybody I felt like in my heart I said hey if I don't have a romantic connection with anyone I can definitely use this three weeks as an opportunity for self-growth and kind of like mock the way I would show up in marriage because we do really go deep into like the acts of marriage and what it means to you and we're, I mean it's our full-time job to talk about marriage and everything it entails you know um for eight weeks so, you know, I just started to do like doing the coffee in the morning and leaving little notes and like, like little things like that, you know? So we just kind of developed this friendship, but yeah, actually the, the whole dog thing happened. I think we didn't even have our phones back when that happened yet. So we're just coming off a very, very like rocky time in that whole sequestery period. Um, mm. I also was coming from a very toxic back and forth relationship where I felt like my body was like constantly living in like fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode. Like, is there another F? I forget. Um, and uh, fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, there is another F. There is another <laughs> F. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, uh, and, you know, I, again, it's like, don't excuse my behavior at all for that. Like, you know, I, I think at the time period, also Shiloh, oh my gosh, I count, we moved. 13 different times between hotels and this and that and that and like our actual living quarters 13 different times in you know eight weeks where Shiloh had to go places go to a new home this that that and I felt like she was she is my ESA but I felt like that was the most um stable being in my life <laughs> moment so I was just like my I, I clung on her even more so you know at the time when I didn't know how to I was wired to navigate conflict with Mildred for two years at that point in only one way, getting defensive, feeling like I'm constantly on rock, rocks, like, you know, eggshells, I'm walking around eggshells just from that relationship. And um, that as soon as it's kind of like when you work 80 hours a week for two years straight, you're in overdrive, mm -hmm. emotionally mm -hmm. in overdrive, spiritually in overdrive, everything. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, go be on vacation. 
And then like part of you wants to be on vacation then, but then part of you is like, I don't know how to relapse. Totally. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. So that's kind of how I came into the whole situation with Sam, the dog. And, you know, like, obviously like, you know, I apologize and what you see, obviously, like, I didn't actually expect the world to blow up that much about it. Um, but it was a conflict that we had. And uh, two hours later, you actually saw us at the next scene. So that actually, that's next scene actually happened two hours after that, uh, where we're out to dinner and we were over it. Uh, and oh, it was like, yeah. It was down, like it was, it was uphill ever since. Um, because right. I, you know, I've said this a couple of times to other people is that when we, I finally was able to let my walls down with Sam or just like another person, even though there was no romantic connection, we were still trying to openly try to figure out, but without physical boundaries, um, or without physical mm-hmm. to it. Um, but I knew that I would trust her like with my life, you know, at, at some point, because after that whole fight happened, we you know we're on schedule. We're supposed to be getting ready to go to this next thing that you see. And actually in the next scene with us, this, at uh, this dinner outing. And we're like, fuck, we're literally in the middle of a fight and we have to get ready for our dinner. And we're like, oh my God. Like, so we weren't, you know, we were changing, we we're getting ready. Like, you know, we we're like, like, we weren't like talking to each other and like, you know, I'm like, don't look at Shiloh. And like, you know, there's all this stuff going on. And um, I remember- Don't we, look at Shiloh. Don't, don't even look at her. Um, but no, I didn't say that. <laughs> um, you know, we definitely- love like, And if you think I'm, from what my understanding from actually watching the show, um, Sam kind of let Aussie go off and just be Aussie when those things, when those situations would happen. And that kind of goes back into our personal journeys of why we click so well together and learn from each other. But I remember my walls went down when during that time period, 30 minutes before we left to go out to dinner, she says to me, you know, we're silent, but she says to me, Hey, I know you're feeling very frustrated right now and very upset. And you have like every right to feel the way you do. However, I just want to let you know that like, what has just happened it doesn't change the way I see you and like I'm even getting chills right now when I say it because it's like like I've never been like I uh, maybe I would say I've never been no one's ever communicated like that with me before yeah but definitely in the last two years yeah with a partner whether it's romantic or not this is your trial marriage partner um I was like shocked like, I was just like, oh my gosh, like you see right through, she saw, she's very emotionally intelligent and she's also trauma informed, which I become trauma informed, um, you know, since, since the breakup and yeah. uh, she saw right through that, like everything that made me so defensive. It wasn't about the dog. Like, you know, like it, it, the dog was the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw that I I constantly was in that mode, um, you know, through 20 hours of dating her at this point, you know, because I did express to her my concerns with Mildred. And it just developed that softness, that gentleness, um, developed trust. And no one's perfect. And I felt like during the relationship with Mildred, I was always open to trying and to to grow, but I needed a safe space to do it. And I needed gentleness. And I would tell Mildred all the time before we even went on the show, I was like, like, I listen, I hear, I feel through vulnerability. And I just felt like I never really got that with Mildred. Um, So when I see this new energy that's coming in, I'm like, whoa, it actually made me for the first time in the entire relationship with Mildred question, is there, could there be someone else out there for me that has this? 
energy because I'm so receiving. I'm, I'm receiving it very well. And maybe it's not going to be Sam, but it did make me start to question, could it possibly be someone else that has those traits that Sam does, but just mm-hmm. with the romantic connection attached to it? It's a big realization. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It's interesting. That's where the contrast comes that, you know, having these trial marriage partners, it's not all just romantic or sexual connections. These trial marriages can help you learn about yourself. They could help you miss the shit out of your partner because you can't stand your trial marriage partner or it could make you think, wow, maybe um, it's not Mildred. Maybe it's not Sam, but could it actually be someone else based on what I'm learning and the traits that I, that I'm getting from this new partner? And you're totally. receiving well. That's that's that a, that's a really big, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like we said, the premise of the show is unhinged. But if you think about the experiment, just in and of itself, regardless of the cameras and the TV show, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like you're really able to everything you just said. You wouldn't have been able to do if you didn't step outside of that relationship with Mildred for ten days or however long it was. Yeah, and we wouldn't have been able to do that if. The if the show premise itself and our experience within it was so shallow and superficial, but it really totally for every single day, you know, in many different ways, in many different ways, from production to the topics we talk about to just just everything. Uh, knowing that you're going to be on an international huge TV show that kind of like makes you like a little insecure, a little bit, knowing that. Anything can go, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you're just getting emotional, like all the fucking time. Everybody cried. Everybody cried. I would. Yeah, how could you not? Oh, yeah, yeah, Sarah, you don't cry and you would have. I don't cry and I would have. (laughs) Fully. Yeah. Well, Tiff, we honestly had to ask this question because your friend Natasha became a standout of the season. Honestly, like I go on my TikTok page and it's all Natasha. Natasha, Natasha, Natasha. Like, Um, how did you feel about her asking those hard questions throughout the show? Like what was going on through your mind? If y'all, everyone that's listening right now, um, wants to find Natasha on Instagram, she's, um, Sebastiani 13, um, quit hitting up my DMs cause they're already flooded. Um, go that <laughs> way. Um, please. And thank you. Uh, anyway, uh, just oh as God. far as like her bluntness, I, I know where to be blunt. I'm also blunt where it's an East coast thing. We're very blunt. Um, I might just be a little bit more emotional. At the time, I'll be honest, at the time I was a little taken back from the whole date with Sam, like hold hands and this, that, that. Um, I actually thought it was fucking hilarious when she was holding Sam's hand. Like, I, I know that that's Natasha. That's fine. Um, I thought that that part was really fucking funny. Um, the whole part of, well, why don't you just hold her hand? Why don't you? And, and in no sense do I think that like Natasha was trying to like force me to do something, but I think the whole production point, you know, I, I'm treading lightly with my words, but um, I wouldn't say they straight up manipulate you to try to get to be more physically open with people. Um, but there is a lot of suggesting, suggesting of that, you know, on that part, um, they're handholding exercises where you gaze into each other's eyes. I'm like, I'm not going to do that because you can literally use my hands and looking at someone like on TV. You know, you see that with Mildred and Aussie. They're holding hands, looking at each other. That was a hand-holding exercise. So, like, you know how they... they, And I'm like, I'm not going to be a part of that because I don't want you to think that I'm into someone when I'm really not. I also was scared of the wrath of Mildred because I don't think that she would have been able to ever forgive me if I 
they all that like I don't know there was a lot to it but oh, wow whoa yeah. good for you for saying no yeah because I think no. a lot of people can feel pressured to not say no just do it because yeah. you have to kind of work within your contract within reasons but um yeah so I think I was just kind of mad I, I to be honest you know I'm gonna tread very lightly with this too um I didn't fully appreciate the constant suggestion it wasn't forcing but the constant suggestion of physicality on the show um because as someone who is a sexual abuse victim i don't i i don't like that i don't like the the suggestion part of it and it's kind of like if i say no but they ask again you know the next day i don't really care like it, it starts to get annoying and redundant and then when you guys, when we're having like, you know, guided sex talks, I'm not a really big fan of that either. If I'm not into someone, you know what I'm saying? So there, there are certain things where I just wasn't okay. So I know Natasha means well, but I think at that point, you know, there, we were three weeks into the experiment at that point, And I'm just kind of like over it. Um, so say, you know, Natasha comes in from DC, you know, just na naive to anything that's going on and any of my frustrations. Right. So right. she comes in and she's just like, why don't you need anything? Like, like, why don't you do anything with her? Like, you'll never know until you try. And I think I became a little bit, you see me being like, no, no, a little bit more defensive right there because I'm like, I didn't like for me, I don't have, to, I, I, I'm 100% lesbian and never have sexually been with a man before ever. and. I'm like, I don't have to have sex with a man to know that I don't want to sleep. Like, you know, I I don't have to do that. So I did get a, a lot point. weird, um, I saw a lot of weird pushback comments of like, Tiff just like didn't, you know, go head in into the experiment. But like, to me, it's kind of like double standards. It's It's weird because if you would see a straight couple, right? And a man and a woman dynamic and someone was pressuring the woman uh, you know, not, not pressuring. I hate it. Okay. Take that back. But like kind of being suggesting things like you'll never know till you try and you'll never know till this. And like, kind of, you know, just gently kind of going into that ether of it. I feel like it would come off different. I feel like it would come off a little bit weird, like double standards. It's that wouldn't be taken well. It wouldn't be taken well. So there was a lot of like, I know Sam means well. And like, there, there were other talks where it's kind of like, well, just, you know, what do we think about just holding hands, you know, and like doing this and that? I'm like, I didn't want to do it, but I just always thought it was so weird because if I was, you know, a woman dating a man and this was brought to my attention, it's just interesting the way, the way I saw it. So again, I'm just going to put as a disclaimer, no one ever forced me to do anything, but yeah. I, you know, I know when Natasha completely with good intentions, good intentions, right? Um, also a little drunk comes in and then is at the table and is like, yo, like you can't, you know, you won't know until you test the car and like all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So you see me come off more like, eh, no, no. Yeah. Kind like, of more no, like shut down. Doing yeah. More shut down. More shut down. Yeah. During that scene, you definitely saw me more shut down. But it makes perfect sense. And thank you for explaining that and walking us through that. Because when Natasha was asking these questions, I was feeling a little bit like, oh, Natasha's asking all the questions that we have, like to all the couples. Like, and mm -hmm. a lot of the questions outside of the physical stuff, it was like, are you sure? Like, does this make sense? Like, this is kind mm -hmm. of crazy. Like those types of questions. Um, and of course, Natasha meant everything with good intentions. Yeah. But it's really important to know about that behind the scenes stuff. And I think that's something that should definitely be worked on as we move forward with all of these types of 
contrived shows where we're yeah. these are these are real people with real lives and real these are real people yeah yeah so it's and like real histories people, they don't manipulate you to do anything but they just suggest it like for instance you know my sit down interviews that i have producer can say hey um i heard that sam likes you a lot how do you feel about it and then i can just give my explanation but then on the meanwhile you don't know what sam's sit down interview is looking like it could be like I don't know. It could just be something completely different. So you you don't know what really what's going on. So it, it's just, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. So then they can get the answer they kind of want. Yeah. Um, Cause that's what they're trying to get. They are very, uh, yeah, they know what they're doing. And that's, they know what they're doing. Like, you look mind blown right now. <laughs> I just, I'm so curious about all the behind the scenes. <laughs> Sorry, I am like, I'm just, yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving this. This is so interesting because, yeah, because you are real people. Yeah. And sometimes we can see you as like characters in a, in a mm-hmm. scripted TV show and you're not yeah. like we're sitting oh, down with you right now. You're a real person with like a yeah. real, yeah. Anyway, I love it. Thank you for telling us all the deeds. I actually have one. I know we're running over a little bit, but I have one quick question that I always wonder about when you guys are doing those solo interviews and you're like seated on the couch and you're all wearing the same outfit every time we see you. How, Persis, have you ever wondered this? How does that work? Because yeah. it's throughout the entire show. Is it one interview that you're sitting down for? We're during week now, granted week one, we were all dating on like a resort. So we actually were not in those interviews at all. So week two through eight, we were in those interview rooms three times a week for about three hours. So about 10 hours a week, we were in that interview room and then you times it by seven. So we probably had 70 hours of sit down on the couch interview rooms. If you think about it, they may have collected five, six minutes, maybe 10 minutes total me saying things in the interview room, but that was probably 70 hours worth of content that they put down just for those one-liners that they want. As far as that, they do what's called continuity. So they don't trust you. Like, you know, I'm wearing this earring right now. They put everything in a bag. They see clean it, they everything. So like every day, you know, I would have my outfit down to the shoes. I think everything besides socks um, and underwear, like, you know, and then um, even this, like they would take all your jewelry and keep it. And then also I had to like, make sure that my haircut, um, I had to get like every like week on the dot to make sure that like my haircut was like kind of new and I, you see actually one of the things I have a design in there and they got so mad at me I was like I didn't know we couldn't and then they were like <laughs> just fucks up with continuity. Like, no. yeah. I didn't notice that uh, actually on the date with um when you see Sam me Sam and Natasha up there you'll see like a little like zigzag line that goes through there but yeah so like you'll see you know the yeah like the actual sit down interviews happens over a course of eight weeks but here's the thing they can put something that you said in week eight and stick it in episode two that's so interesting I always wondered that too Sarah because there were things where I was like this is where I saw them on the first night but then it would be like time like much time has passed and they look the exact same like that they did in their first interview and they're commenting it seems like they're commenting on something yeah yeah and I can't go to like in specific scenes so all I will say is that when I actually saw specific scenes all I'm going to say is I'm like that's interesting but like aside from that I can't go to specific scenes I'm like this never happened this never did this never you know yeah. like through my contract but I'm just kind of like yeah that's interesting I don't huh might have amnesia or something but yeah it's like <laughs> <laughs> might have wow ah the production was I that drunk or like, you know <laughs> <laughs> maybe did you um did you have a favorite couple on the show favorite couple 
Yeah, no. like including OGs or the trial couples. No, <laughs> nope. nope, not at all. <laughs> Everybody was full of shit, respectfully. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> like no, like I think we were just like not all men for each other. Like, I, well, because we could rip open and see like all the problems within all the relationships more than I think you would see couples outside in the normal world. In the normal world, you just kind of see them like, hey, like. Bob and Wendy, like they come and hang out and go to dinner with you, and they're really happy together, and like this and that. On this show, like throughout eight weeks, you see all the fucking negative sides of people coming out and this and that. It's like so accelerated in the lesbian world, people move quickly. So it's like that times 10. And I'm like, whoa. So this is like, you know, something to the like the eighth power experiment going on. And you see all the flaws busted out. You see everything. And you're just seeing like all these emotions going over. And I'm just like, all of us are unstable besides Sam. Like everyone needs to leave. Shiloh and Sam should get married. And then like, Everyone just walks out alone and like throws out deuces with that big, like, you know, when you walk away from a big bomb that explodes and it's in the slow-mo, that hero shot. I think everyone deserved to have a hero shot like that when we left because that shit is so unhinged and ridiculous that um, I'm just like, no, we just should have all left alone, to be honest. That would have been pretty epic if you all had that hero shot explosion. Yeah, because that that was the emotional explosion going on. The mayhem happening in the back. That's what it felt like. Even like, even like Lexi and Ray, who you, we finished the reunion and they're like, oh, we're so in love. It's like the last thing you see is like, they ended their relationship immediately (laughs) after the reunion. It's weird. And there's a big gap in between then, you know, because I, you know, I get it. They released it at Pride, uh, around Pride time, but we were supposed to be released originally from what I hear, at least um, in February when the perfect match came out we were actually supposed to be at first and then the perfect match which is also kinetic content was supposed to be later um right interesting you know it was a year and nine months or something so we had to push it out another like five months but between that reunion was in 2023 January so we waited a year and two months after to have the reunion I mean that's a long time a lot happens I always wondered what the timeline was with that yeah yeah, it was weird. Yeah. And so there there was a long time between and then another five months till, you know, and like I do know for season one, you know, and some of us blinds follow this rubric from at least what I like observed. The reunion happens fairly quickly after, you know, there's usually like in between, I don't know, like eight months to a year and one month, two months for it to kind of hit Netflix. But ours was essentially eight to nine months longer than everyone else's. That's wild too, because when you're watching it, when it's airing, you almost feel like there was another lifetime or something. Yeah, or you think it's in real time. So what happened, me yelling at Sam over the dog and all of that, like I'm a whole ass new person. Like that was going on two years ago at this point, For you know? Sure. Like, wow. Wild. Okay, well that said, this is our last ultimatum question. What yeah. do you think is the number one thing that you learned about yourself from doing this show, from this wild, crazy experience? Being on TV when you never thought you would be, the number one most thing I've learned, I learned that I could, I am capable of having a kind, um, gentle, communicative partner and establishing boundaries. And that is possible. However, I was so in the vortex during the show and um, still went back to that cyclical pattern of Mildred and I, and we're still in the experiment. So I, you know, did get engaged thinking that things were going to get better. Um, But looking back on it, 
when I departed from the relationship with Mildred, I kept a lot of what I learned in mind on the show. Absolutely. And that was kind of like the starting point to make me actually think, is this great or is this, is this worth it? Because I feel like I'm glad we got, it's weird because I'm glad we got engaged because I felt like we might've, who knows, might've still been in a back and forth relationship at that point. I feel like we needed to like kind of push back the rubber band and propel forward to realize like, this ain't it. <laughs> this isn't it. You know? Totally. Totally. It sounds like it was a positive, ultimately positive experience yes. for you. Yeah, definitely. It's something I would, I would do over and over and over again um, mm -hmm. because it's very, it's very life-changing and also being yourself and inspiring many people around the world for just being yourself. It's not that like you're anyone special. It's just being yourself. And that allows freedom and hope for people to also be in themselves. Cause it, you know, kind of tells the community that like, Hey, we don't just like exist. Like we can, we can thrive being yourself and it's safe for you too. So I'm just glad yeah. I can do a project like that. That's way bigger than ourselves and all of our drama. That's a great segue. Cause we want to talk to you a little bit about representation before we say goodbye. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. so important. So yeah. important. We, Sarah and I talk about queer representation in the media, honestly, every episode, and we will keep doing it time and time again, because it's what makes you feel seen and not invisible, especially because it can feel so isolating, like depending on where you are. But mm -hmm. was there any queer rep in the media that stood out to you as you were growing up? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I think the first two that pop my head are like Rosie O'Donnell and Ellen DeGeneres. No, Ellen, Ellen was one for me for sure. For sure. Same. And yeah. And Rosie O'Donnell. You know, what's crazy is that I, you know, I know this is a bad answer, but I have to say, not really, not anyone stuck out. I think because they were either like actors or this or that, it just, or I, I can't, it's hard for me to relate to celebrities because I just don't see them like an everyday person. And it, I'm like, well, that's nice. Yeah, sure, you're lesbian, but like you're, you know, rolling like around in like, you know, uh, a Lamborghini and like, you know, doing all these flashy lifestyles. Like, I can't relate to you. I can't relate to you. So maybe like, you know, maybe the the real L word, maybe like Whitney Mixter and like things like that. Like that just made it look a little bit more relatable. But now, like, I like it on the micro level, right? Like, even when you look on TikTok, if it's not super materialistic and like just thirst traps, which I am all for, but like, you know, you just see everyday people. And that's what I like about it. That's, that's, that's the people who I look up to, but I don't think we really had that, you know, in my time growing up. No. And that is exactly what you were just saying before was like this version of the ultimatum. I think the reason why it's resonating so well with people is because you're just normal people. You're not celebrities. Mm -hmm. You're not, and yeah. you're normal people with normal lives, normal jobs, and you're showing just truly authentically who you are as a queer person. Mm -hmm. And I loved that they chose a cast of all different representation. Truly, well, like backgrounds, everything. I mean, everything. Yeah. I think they you can only cast so many people, right? And that's another part of the whole process because. You, you have to find a good fits and good matches, but you also have to get a well-diverse cast and even down yeah. to ethnicity and, you know, like gender, like everything, you know, they were looking for a lot. Yeah, but they could have easily not, you know, they could have easily just gone the easy route and not tried to be diverse about it. And I personally really appreciated that as a viewer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, me too. That was one of the first things I noticed. Yeah. And then with, um, I know like Tampa Bay is that show, like they got a lot of backlash uh, because it was just mostly of white representation. 
Um, but I like the diversity. Um, and it also stretched other things like having talks about IVF and having talks about, hey, like, what's it like to date a black person? And hey, like, you know, there's just all these talks that also had busted open wide. So I think they came in saying, hey, this is pretty, uh, you know, rebellious of us kind of doing this and, you know, this project, Let, let's just like bust open like all these bunch of like, societal, like, I don't know, like, taboo topics, you know, let's just rip it wide open and talk about it. Um, one more thing I would say, though, is that, um, yeah, like about the whole realness of people, right? Like in looking up and queer representation in the media and stuff, like, I just feel like once we put those cameras down, um, you can, like, you can take away the TV shows, right? Like all the, with all the actors and stuff, you know, of queer representation. But like you said, in the media of like a real people, once you put those cameras down, we're still going to be ourselves. And that's something that like you can't take away. So I think that's why we have like a special role in just this whole forward movement with queer representation in the media, because we're, we are real people when the cameras stop rolling, we're still here. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're just and you. You're you. And the show is going to be so important to so many people who like of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all um, levels of coming out or not coming out. And how yeah. do you feel being a part of that? Because this, this was a rebellious thing for Netflix to do. It is the first time Netflix has dedicated an entire dating show like this strictly to queer love. So how do you feel being that representation? And you're like the first you said you were the guinea pig. So you're like, this is a big deal. I, I, I love it. And I know before even walking onto that show. Just I knew how, I didn't know how vast, vast, but I knew it was going to be a pretty big project of the, I mean, it's Netflix, for God's sake. And then you also have the, it's from the creators of Love is Blind. So I'm like, this is going to be big. This isn't going to be some little documentary series walkthrough. Um, so I was so excited to be a part of that because um, I just thought that like, wow, we are like, we cry the same, we laugh the same, we break up the same, you know, like maybe not have sex 100% the same, but you know, other than that, <laughs> you know, other things are pretty the same, pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, and I think that it would help like a lot of people that are just questioning it or that live in, you know, bumfuck, uh, like Alabama that have never walked outside their, their state ever. And, um, just say, Hey, what's this about? And then they see five minutes in, I'm like, Oh, wow. They're not much different than us. So you feel seen yeah. automatically. Yeah. Definitely. We've been wanting a show like this forever. Sarah and I would talk about it all the time. Like we'd see shows, obviously, like Love is Blind and even like The Bachelor and stuff. We're like, we need like a queer version of this, yeah. like strictly with queer. Yeah. With the quality too. That's the yes. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And also then seeing how well it did. I mean, it's clear that this type of content is going to continue doing well. So hopefully Netflix and other streaming services just continue to invest. Yeah, and I, I definitely think they will because originally we were supposed to be season two of The Ultimatum. We were supposed right. to be two. And they actually split off the franchise post-filming and because um, they were like, this is going to be something really good, you know? And um, and they split it off so um, more queer seasons are to come. So it's like, this isn't the first one. And I, I definitely- can't wait. Yeah, I definitely think, I don't know what season two, three, I think they're going to keep on changing it. Maybe all pansexuals one season and like, I don't know, it's going to be, it's going to be all over the place. Who knows? But um, this definitely opens up the door and clearly if you can get like, you know, number one in Canada, number six in the, all the English speaking world and like number two on Netflix, like mainstream cis Netflix, like. The numbers you know, say enough. It's right there. It's right there. So. The numbers don't lie. Yeah. The numbers don't they lie. They're running algorithms and stuff to see what would be profitable before it even comes out. So. Exactly. What do you think 
Netflix and or the media can do better? Like, what do you think we need to see more of? I definitely do. I mean, this might not have to do directly with queer rep, but like, I think they need to prioritize. It's the whole thing with reality TV, prioritize mental health first. They do to an extent, you know, like, you know, again, not getting too much into the reunion, but just like what you see, like, I think they definitely put entertainment first um, at the end of the day before people's mental health um, when it comes to like on screen things. I mean, I know they can do better with that hands down. But as far as like queer representation in the media, I think an entity like Netflix is, I don't think they favor queers. I don't think they unfavor queers. I don't think they favor conservatism. I don't think they unfavor it. Um, I think they do what they do, which is they want money and they will not cancel someone out or a type of personnel, they just add everything in all together um, because you're going to get viewers from all around the world with all different backgrounds and they all they need, they want subscribers. And so they want conservative subscribers. They want, you know, very, very like queer subscribers. They want, you know, like just from all walks of life and they want all different types of content. So everyone can find something that they like. And they aren't going to cancel conservatism and they're not going to cancel queers. I don't think they're trying to cancel queer culture at all. If they did, I don't think they would make the show. Um, you know, but then you have things like Dave Chappelle, right? So you have all of that answering too. But that's other people that want money on a, on a different, you know, I guess, political viewpoint. And I, at the end of the day, I don't think they want to be in the middle of politics. That's my gut feeling. I don't, I'll never know at the end of the day. I don't think they want to be in the middle of politics. I could be wrong. Um, but I don't think they're, I, I, I think money is the motive and in queer representation in general, there is now money to be made. And I don't know. I don't, I don't think they could have done better because I think that they're willing to look into queer culture if it helps make them money as well, and then they'll be all for it with the size of money at the end. For instance, um, there was this, for, like when I say, when I say this, I say this because like there's, it's a huge company, right? And there are so many different positions in Netflix, but you know, we have a, there, there's a, like a manager of that runs all of the reality TV um on social media they're that person that is in charge of all the social media platforms that you see on netflix and everything that runs reality tv period that is a huge position to run so they're the ones like doing like all you know has a team vast team doing like all the reels for like the promos and the this and that and so there was this one there's different channels other than netflix like on ig and stuff you have like contoto netflix like which is like um for latin culture and then you have like um Black lead, which is like representing any Netflix for um, people of black representation. So you have all these different channels. It's so vast on different platforms. Well, Contoto Netflix, long story short, they posted something that uh, a promo about the whole dog thing and the dog situation. And like they called them dog um, moms, us dog moms instead of dog parents. And um, it was a script. It was a scripted promo that was filmed two weeks before launch because we all flew out to Los Angeles. And I'm like, damn, someone dropped the ball. I was like, I don't care that much. Like, I mean, I, I care, but I'm not going to cancel and shame someone. 
But now I have this huge community and platform that doesn't feel seen and heard, you know, and um, that that, you know, it's alarming for suicide rates, especially trans and non-binary people. And like that is huge. Like I'm okay, but I don't know if these people in my corner are okay. For sure. Right. I mean, I, you know, Netflix just caring about money and everything, but at the same time, a huge company where there are so many individual people working under it. And those individual people are human beings at the end of the day. And so I reached out to them. I kind of like wrote on my story. I called it out. I'm like, what, like, how do you just get this mixed up? Like you knew of people's different genders on the show for like a year and a half, like what's going on. I contacted that person she reached out to whatever teams were in charge of it. It was taken down within 20 minutes. They're like, this mm-hmm. should So as much as I can be biased, right? And say like, oh, Netflix doesn't care. Like, blah, blah, blah. I had a, essentially like a seat or a, or a power within my hands to talk to them. And then for them to listen, because hello, I'm a real person now. And I'm non-binary. Like I'm one of your first uh, non-binary reality people um, on your, yeah. like, Hey, this is what my people behind me are saying. And they're like, oh my God. And they fucking took it down just like that. Mm-hmm. Another thing of um social media on the ultimate Netflix, where they walked, you know, that you know, obviously not getting too much into the DV case and all that, but where I'm like walking out crying. And uh I'm like, oh, I commented. I was like, oh, anything to get the views. And um, they took it down within 20 minutes. So like they they listen, like, you know, they there's do thousands of people that can comment and be like that's fucked up why did you let tip for like blah 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 they don't they right don't. but the second i'm like wow like i have a negative response to it they they take it down so mm-hmm. i guess they listen more to the person that's behind the camera you know like that that's the living breathing person that's representing it so i have yeah no- yeah i feel like it's just it's like systemic changes that need to happen and it's also individual individual power yeah definitely i, I just think it's um there's a lot of moving pieces. It's a huge, huge, huge company. Um, I can't even wrap my mind around it. I, I don't need like corporate, like I ha- I can't even wrap my mind around how big and the structure behind the, the company like that, like how they run a mess like that. Like I can't even begin. <laughs> like I would have like, people reach out in emails and be like, I'm the global social media person of this. And I'm like, I reach out to them. I'm like, what do you do? Like, like, what do you do? Come again? Yeah, like, come again? Like, what? And they're like, I do this. And I was like, wow, they have a specific job role just for that. And they're like, no, actually, we have a team that do just that. I'm like, oh, okay. It's nuts. It's nuts, but thank you, Netflix, for bringing us Ultimatum Queer Love. Thank you for bringing us Tiff. Um, Tiff, what is coming up in the future? Anything you want our listeners to know about? I know that you have a podcast. I don't know if you want to plug it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have a little podcast. It's just something, a little side gig. Um, that's Fweeb's podcast. You can find it on my webpage. Um, if you go to the link in my bio, I have a lot of stuff. You can find me on IG um, at tiff.ddr. Um, and also, like, I'm holding some workshops, um, LGBTQ coaching calls, like, coming out. And also, I'm starting to hold um, um, some, like, online support events for um, DV survivors and things like that to kind of come to a safe space. Um, to talk and navigate these things. I recently got like trauma, um, trauma informed certified and everything. And I'm just trying to help navigate my own personal experiences into something positive. So I do a lot of like coaching calls based on like coming out and also um, anything related to like uh, DV and things of that nature. Um, And I'm just really happy I can make like an impactful change. And yeah, so I have that, um, the Fleets podcast and um, just rolling with the punches as of right now. 
Amazing. Okay, cool. In our show notes, guys, we're going to link all of the stuff that Tiff just said so that you can easily find it, but you can also go to all of their socials and find the links there. Um, and we're just so grateful for you. So thank you, grateful. Thank you for this was like such a lovely conversation. Honestly, it we was. are beaming right now. 444. It's 444 <gasps> as we're filming this. I'm just letting you know. Sorry. I fever in numbers when we say this. Um, um, always. Yeah. We are all, all about the, the numbers. I feel I've been seeing that a lot. 222, 333. Yeah. Good things are coming. I think it's good luck, y'all. Versus, in case you missed it, this week is maybe the laziest in case you missed it we've ever done. But also, is it lazy? Because it's very important. It's very important. And you know what? This was such a big episode and it's very ultimatum focused. So why would we talk about anything but the ultimatum? And romance and um, friendship and lots of other tough uh, conversations like kids, marriage. Um, other sex. things. Sex, sex. Oh, sex! <laughs> We're like yelling <laughs> "sex" into the microphone. <laughs> sex. Sarah, you're missing like some really key important members. Members. What do you the mean? The fur babies. The fur babies. Oh, the fur that are featured yes. in the ultimatum. Yeah. Special shout out to Shiloh because that's Tiff's dog, and you just heard the conversation with the one and only Tiff, who we love. Um, but seriously, guys, we couldn't even think of anything we'd rather talk about in this in case you missed it than the ultimatum queer love. It's just incredible representation to have on Netflix, such a huge streaming platform, something they'd never really done before. Um, something they never really contributed this amount of money and time into. Um, and we really appreciate it. Obviously, there's a long way to go and a lot of things to work on. Tiff talked to us about a lot of those things in this interview. But um doesn't matter how you identify if you're listening to this right now, straight, queer, whatever you are, you should watch it because you learn a lot about the queer, the queer experience, I think, and what queer relationships, all different types of queer relationships are like, um, truly, I, I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of authenticity behind them. I don't think it was all for show. <laughs> you guys can't see, you guys can't see this, but Persis's cat Beso just like fully blacked out the screen. <laughs> he was like, "We're done He's with like, Persis. We're, we're done." Oh my gosh, Beso! Um, so cute. Um, yeah, I would honestly recommend the show to anybody. And honestly, I want to say, Crystal and I watched it like twice. Twice, really? Yeah, yeah. Front well, to back. We'd go back and like watch episodes again, but I feel like straight through we'd like we watched episodes like multiple times because it's kind of good to look back. And I, I think now I kind of almost want to like I think I need to take a breather, but I almost want to watch it again. <laughs> Round three, bitches. I just really loved it. Yeah, I agree. I think after this conversation with Tiff and getting some behind the scenes details, I would love to watch it back and be like, oh, interesting. I remember when they told us about this little bit or that little bit. Yes, um, there's things I'm going to look back on. Yeah, and just knowing like the little manipulations that the producers sneak in there. Um, yeah, great show, great reality TV content. Um, please give it a watch if you haven't already. And once you do, DM us at Girl X Girl Podcast and tell us who is your favorite person on the show? Who is your favorite couple? Um, 
what did you think of our interview with Tiff? Mm-hmm. Who else do you want us to talk to? Maybe some other cast members might want to come on the pod. Yeah. Who open space knows we are open and willing. Um, but that's our in case you missed it. It is honestly ultimatum. We're it's obsessed. an ultimatum theme. We are obsessed. And yeah, like Sarah said, um, let us know what else you also want to see Netflix do in terms of like maybe more queer media rep or even we we did talk about this with Tiff, so you guys heard, but what can these platforms do to continue to promote like mental health? I don't know. I just when Tiff brought that up, it was just it really resonated with me as well. And how things were handled in um at the reunion because I know people had some issues with Love is Blind as well and um the perfect match like similar shows but how certain things were handled and how cast members actually felt after the fact just a huge huge topic I know I kind of went off a little bit there but would be curious to hear what the listeners think as well about that yeah, I think it's so important. It's something that Netflix and other platforms need to continue to do better. Also, I loved what Tiff was saying in this interview about how they saw certain things being posted that were not okay for whatever reason, and they spoke up and then the content was taken down. So just a reminder that like your individual voice has a lot of power. And yes, Tiff is obviously a cast member. So Tiff speaking their mind will have a lot of leeway in terms of what Netflix wants to promote and what they don't but yeah just don't forget that you can you can speak up if you feel like something isn't okay and the more we all speak up collectively and individually the the better we're gonna do as a whole streaming platforms individuals everything exactly we're all learning like tiff said too and power in numbers and also the people behind these like massive companies are humans right like people make mistakes but we can't just let that slide it's like help people be more aware and I know companies and big streaming platforms like they do need to be really careful about what they're like promoting on social media and all you can do is learn from it won't happen again it's the premise of this show y'all we're learning we're growing you know us straight people we don't always get it right but if we have the willingness to learn and to grow and to get better and to listen then we're gonna we're all gonna get better and we're gonna grow so exactly um I'm happy to hear that people at Netflix were willing to learn and grow and listen to Tiff and their other cast members about proper language, et cetera. Exactly. So That's nice all that to matters. Hear. So nice to hear. It is. Shows they care. Okay. Well, I love you, Persis. I love Ultimatum. <laughs> Clearly, we're obsessed. <laughs> um, we love Tiff and we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for always uh, hanging out with us. Thank you. I know. Hanging out with us. Good old S&P. Your besties. S and B, week. A little uh, spicy. A little spice. A little sugar. Spicy. Okay, they're like, can everyone? Uh, can you guys leave? Okay, we're done. Love we're you done guys. here. <laughs> Someone Bye. take the mic. Take the mic. Take the mic. Goodbye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.